Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. So, a little about our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. Check out their site at www.ericsson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. My name is Jason Duff, IBM Consulting North American Oil and Gas Industry Leader. With me today is Brian Woodward. Hello, Brian. Hey, Jace. I'm making a return to the show. I think it's been a little while, right? Maybe some of the folks wondered if I disappeared off your team. Is there some dust on those earphones and the microphone? They were a little rusty. I had to, I had to get a little WD-40 out today before we kicked off, and uh, I wasn't even <laughs> sure if they still worked, but... It's awesome to be back, and I think we have a great discussion today, so I only come back in for the good ones. You know that. Absolutely. So generative AI, GPT, is what we're going to talk about today, correct, Brian? What the yeah, hell is it? What we need to do Absolutely, and you know, we're not talking about trying to improve your golf game on chat GPT. Uh, yes, we are. I think you've been trying to get the slice out of your swing for a while, but if you go on ChatGPT about that, I think it gives you about 15 tips. It's way more than any of us could handle, but no, absolutely. So we have a couple of great guests today, Jeff and Vish from Deep IQ, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves in just a sec. But yeah, we're going to talk about generative AI. We know it's a hot topic and you know it's everything, I think, from people playing around with things like ChatGPT, but we think there's a real use case for it in the energy workforce of tomorrow. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So maybe with uh, no further delay, Vish, Jeff, why don't you guys introduce yourself and kind of where you're from and maybe why you're here to talk about generative AI today. So I'm Vishay Rosala. I like DeepIQ. We are a startup based of Houston, Texas. I can talk more about that in a few minutes. My background, I have a PhD from Penn State long, long ago. From uh, Did my research in machine learning and multi-sensor data fusion. This is 25 years ago. Then I was with a lot of big companies, always being doing AI work for big industrial companies. And this is my second startup. That's my background. Excellent. Awesome. Houston-based fish, right? I am based out of Houston, Texas, yes. There you go. Someone else is enjoying that warm sunshine just now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jeff. Yes. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I'm Jeff Washburn, uh, VP at DeepIQ. I've been working with Fish for the last five years. Got a long history in IT and oil and gas space. Uh, former architect at Schlumberger and lots of fun stuff like that. And I'm actually trying to get the slice out of my golf game too. So let me know how that goes, Jason. <laughs> we can learn a lot from this and that's, we can round it off on that hey, one, Brian. I'm just trying to get the slice in my golf game. I'm just trying to get some <laughs> kind of golf game going, right? So, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hey, so guys, why don't we kick off and maybe, look, I think probably the audience knows a little bit about generative AI and at least sort of the, some of the fun use cases we've been reading about in the press. But can we spend a few minutes maybe talking about really what it is and why is it a step change, I guess, from 
the machine learning and AI that we've been talking about for the last two or three years. So you want to take a stab at that? Absolutely, Brian. There's a lot of very interesting history to this brand. So I can, I mean, it depends on how much weeds you want to go into. But generative AI models are essentially models that can generate new data, either text or images or video. So basically models that can generate new content, right? So traditional ML models, and I'm using traditional in a very loose way because generative AI models have a long history too. But standard machine learning models, if you will, learn to discriminate between data. They're called discriminant models. So you can learn a model to you know, differentiate between a dog and a cat image. While a generative AI model, you can train it to generate new images of dogs and cats based on training on existing images, right? And the history is a little interesting, right? Why they became very powerful. There's a lot of history to that. And generative AI models, the simpler generative AI models were there for a while now. I remember in 2012, when I was at my previous company, we developed a system for identifying patent landscapes, white faces in patterns, right? It's kind of a very interesting idea. Can you use generative AI models to actually predict what white spaces are there in the based on the current patent portfolio? And I remember 2012, I was very proud of the work. We published paper and the patent. We had around 20,000 parameters in that model. I think we were like, I could be a little wrong there, but approximately, right? Now, chart GPT has around 175 billion parameters. That was like, I feel so old, but that was only like <laughs> 13 years ago, like how much, 11 years ago. That was the state of art. Then now it's just a huge jump. Now, because they've become so powerful, we are able to generate content that actually is very close or even better than human generated content in a lot of different contexts. And I can walk through how, what happened through the last uh, 25 years of this, but I don't know if that's the context you're trying to get out of this, Brian. It could... Well, I mean, Jason and I, are, we're already lost, so we got to go back <laughs> the lens up. No, I mean, so seriously, it's a step change in the way machine learning works, right? From the standpoint of almost having models that start to train themselves based on other models. Is that a, maybe a fair way to say that? No, they're not trained based on other models. The idea is, so can you learn the distribution of data? Can you learn to generate data, essentially? So if you give like the entire internet Wikipedia, and can you use a model to essentially write a new Wikipedia article, given a context, right? That yeah, is the cool. idea. So in the application that we're all familiar with, ChatGBT, that's what it's doing, right? I ask it a question, and it's using data to generate data back to the user, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. It's generating new content based on your query. I think the general public's been a little bit, including myself, by the way, when this first came out, got a little bit confused of ChatGPT. We all loaded it because it was free and then thought, this is just Google. We can just use Google to do this. And then we're understanding a bit more, right, Jeff? I mean, I guess that's the big difference. I think people are still, the general public, look at generative AI thinking it's a buzzword and thinking, is it not just Google? Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. When you look at the difference between a chat GPT is kind of doing a search and giving what it's finding. But when you look at a chat GPT, it's actually creating that content. I mean, I was mucking around with it myself where I took just a simple description of my laptop and I asked chat GPT to say, turn this into an obituary. And it did a beautiful job of writing an obituary for my laptop. I mean, it knows what an obituary is and it takes what I'm giving it as the context and then creates it in that style. But it's original content. Really interesting. So maybe let's kind of bring that back a little bit to sort of the industry problem that you guys are working on and how it impacts the inner energy industry. So, I mean, you guys are part of a startup organization, Deep IQ, been in business for 
four or five years now, Vish? If a little I, over five years, yep. A little over five nice. years now, right? Wow, the time is flying. I mean, you know, I've known you for a little over five years, so that's hard to believe yep. now. <laughs> By the way, I wish everybody could see the video because nobody's aged today since then, right? Not uh, at all. Vish, we look the same. But tell us a little bit about DeepIQ <laughs> and what you guys do in terms of solving industry problems, and then how is generative AI kind of starting to play into that a little bit? Because I think that will really give us a little bit of context, Jason, of how to go from chat GBT, which to many of us is a toy in a way, or to our kids, a way to write papers. But how do you really take that technology into the industry, if you will? Yeah. So let me introduce DeepIQ a little bit. DeepIQ is a no-code AI-based platform that's built to automate industrial expertise. So our highest vision is, you know, is can a power plant operate on its own or a, can a rig drill on its own using generative AI technology as a higher level order raising layer over existing industrial data automation textile. That's our highest goal. And even today, DeepIQ delivers very significant acceleration in the industrial digital programs in efficiencies, right? The number of data engineers and subject matter experts required to deliver on an on an industrial digital program is drastically reduced because of DeepIQ. And we have a lot of success stories that can validate that claim. I will tell you a little bit of how we DeepIQ began. Jeff and I were at Slumberger, as he said, leading the big data program. And I was with a lot of other industrial companies. And one of the biggest realizations is that most of the work in industrial automation is on non-value add tasks, where we are trying to do things like, you know, moving data into a big data platform or a cloud platform trying to model and clean the data before you even give access to somebody like a subject matter expert. I remember in my previous job, I used to have a team of 12 people whose job was to move IoT data into a big data platform. That's their only job. And I thought, what a criminal waste of human life. And in spite of all the cool things that we did, the most times that we got into trouble is because some subject matter expert noticed some number discrepancy that he was very unhappy with, right? And I thought, I wish I could give all this data to them and let them generate these insights more out of spite, I guess, at that point. <laughs> but also because I kind of realized that subject matter experts and people who are close to the data can generate the maximum value out of the data if only they had the tools. And that's how DeepIQ was born. And we started off as a no-code drag-and-drop workflow engine. And we had some success, but we kind of realized that even for that experience where you have to build workflows of that, there was some resistance from experts. And then when the generative AI revolution came about, I think early this year, we started pivoting to using generative AI to automate even that part. So that's the brief history of you know, what the company does. We kind of break our problem definition into three bins, right? Three phases, if you will. First, bringing all these disparate industrial data sources, whether they are geospatial data sources or time series data sources like control systems, and structured data sources into a common data lake, engineering the data using sophisticated statistical algorithms to actually make high-quality knowledge graphs of a domain, and then using generative AI on top of this domain knowledge graph to allow subject matters experts to generate insights out of that. That's a huge step change, I think, in the way that data has been managed uh, traditionally. I mean, obviously, I think sure. you talked this a lot about this push over, say, 10, the last 10 years to get data into these large data lakes, right? But then the challenge has all been about getting sort of value out of that and the heavy lifting associated with kind of getting value out of that. So now that you can apply this technology 
to these data sets. Give us some real like life examples in terms of what does that do for an end user? I mean, you talked about sort of the in-state vision being full plant automation. And I think we talked a little bit in the prep around, you know, generative AI hallucination. I'm still trying to figure out how to get my hands on that a little bit, but we're somewhere in the middle of sort of being able to get to the point where you trust it enough that it doesn't go down an erroneous path and deliver the wrong answer to being able to really augment and assist the human worker. So let's talk a little bit about, because this is all about the workforce, let's talk about some typical jobs in the industry that are leveraging these data sets and how does it change the interaction model? Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I'll give an example of a downstream customer. Typically today, if you're running a refinery and you are a plant manager that is trying to understand, is my plant working optimally? Is there anything that I can do to improve its performance? And are there any issues that are happening in the production? I don't want to wait till my quality lab report comes in or some batch or you know, or some production issue comes in, comes to go and navigate to that issue and fix it, right? So today what will happen is the data is very shallow. So essentially, I have access to probably some historian where I have some canned reports to look at where I can make decisions based on those canned reports. But if I want to go one step beyond that, I want my operational data, which is the time series data, to be integrated with my quality data, with my maintenance data, and with my safety data. I am actually looking at multiple weeks of turnaround time. I need to bring in my IT guys. I need to bring in my, possibly even my cybersecurity experts to amalgamate that data and generate possibly an integrated data set that I can then download into an Excel file and analyze. And I'm three weeks out before I can make a decision. And <laughs> at that point, you're already lost the plot. So what DeepIQ allows you to do today is go to your cloud data lake and then say, show me all the places where a particular reliability issue has happened and how that manifested in the time series data. You can go and ask that in a uh, natural language form and it will generate that Excel file for you and the plots for you automatically. So I had one customer tell me, this will change the way we operate as a business because we are going to be much more proactive than having to wait multiple weeks. And we have some very interesting use cases that our customers are using DeepIQ for. One use case is a well-designed optimization use case. I'll be a little coy about that because it's a customer use case and we're hopefully hoping to present with them in a few weeks. But the idea is, can you actually use generative AI to help engineers come up with better decisions about how to nice. design something? Fish, is this not on the generative AI? We've all been industry in this industry, I'm sure all of us, for a number of years now. And it's always been a problem where we're quite a laggard as an industry, if we're being brutally honest. And even things like maintenance, et cetera, and preventive maintenance, when you bring these tools up or ways of working or showing the people how to do different things, we've always been, let's watch others and other industries doing it. What's your view, Vish, Jeff, from Deep IQ side of is this going to be the same as generative AI or maybe the industry can use this to take a step forward for once and get ahead of itself as it transforms into energy? Any views yeah. on that, Jeff, Vish? Energy companies have always historically been behind everybody else, partly because of the investment of it, but also because when you make a mistake in this industry, it could be environmentally a horrible thing or Absolutely. you know, and things like that, right? So if you rely on a technology that's not proven, then all of a sudden, you know, you end up with some of the spills and things that have happened in the past. So we tend to be very, very cautious, especially when it comes to technology. But I think at this point, the 
as we try to make things more and more and more streamlined and rely less and less on people and more on these technologies, I think oil and gas is going to do that, but I still think they're not going to be as fast as other industries that really don't have as much to lose when it comes to doing it wrong. I, I don't know, maybe the light bulb's going off in my head a little bit, which doesn't happen very often, but <laughs> you know, we talk about this industry, it's sort of, we've got this generation gap problem in a lot of ways, right? We have a lot of very yep. senior, very, very experienced engineers that have years and years of field experience that are probably making you know, decisions a lot of times in the field just based on what they know and what they've seen and the patterns that they recognize. And obviously analytics and things have come in that have aided. But, you know, if you think about like maybe Vish, what you were talking about earlier around being able to ask questions, let's say I'm a relatively junior, you know, plant manager who doesn't have 25 or 30 years of experience, but maybe there's a weather event coming, right? It could be a hurricane or, you know, maybe an extreme heat situation that's impacting the operating conditions in a facility. And to be able to just like ChatGBT asked the question of, you know, what are the top three or four risks that I should be concerned about today mitigating based on all the operating yeah. conditions? That is a complete step change and maybe, you know, the working model and the way that individuals can ascertain and make decisions in real time before maybe it's too late or because some of these things, you know, you can't get ahead of them fast enough. You probably, there is an HSSE case, definitely, I go back to Jeff's point, because most of the deaths, injuries are around people that are touching equipment or machinery they shouldn't be or doing it the wrong way. And maybe actually that is the, you know, some of the case has to be built around HSSE. We all know around innovation and cases, HSSE, how do you put a dollar on that? But actually, if there's a real stringent element of it, maybe this is a way of sticking yeah. it. Or it could be, how do I optimize production today, right? Yeah, Based on absolutely. conditions, right? I mean... You know, you don't think about coming to work and asking your chatbot or, you know, how do I do my job better every day? But I think that's kind of what, you know, Vish and Jeff are sort of laying out as a use case in terms of applying this on top of the masses and masses of data that an organization collects every year. I mean, the biggest challenge is what do you do with all that data, right? Yeah, absolutely. And my thinking around this is a little different, Brian and Jason. I think generative AI is so powerful. So I've been doing this for a long time. And as I told you, I'm the basically proof and probably on the higher side of age compared to most of the AI researchers. What I can see is we are at the point of disruption. There is no doubt in my mind that what we are able to do today, we were nowhere close, even like six months ago or a year ago. So there, if the change is going to be very powerful and impactful. So companies that don't adopt it will lose out. So there's going to be a lot of competitive pressure to adopt this. That being said, there's a spectrum of use cases. Some use cases are low-hanging fruit that everybody will adapt to. For example, on the digital workflows, there's going to be a lot of automation. Yep. Some use cases are, you know, impacting as you as you say, as you know, safety and some other operational aspects. Yeah. But could be low, could be slower, but change is going to be very fast, in my view at least. And one of the things, I mean, the spectrum of use cases is very very interesting, right? As you pointed out. Generative AI has an issue of hallucination. Hallucination is making up stuff that sounds very plausible, but it's not true, right? I had an interesting experience with ChatGPT. I went to ChatGPT and I started asking me about production data objects. And then after a while, it started spitting out drilling data objects, okay? And you can do that experiment unless they retrain that. Uh, you can probably see the same effect. I tried to correct it for like next 10 minutes, but it would go on into an infinite loop, essentially, 
confused between production and drilling data objects. And it's a very interesting thing because it's actually generating content and it's trained on a certain data set that probably these objects are co-located or the differentiation is not strong enough to, for it to learn the pattern. So that's a huge problem with uh, generative AI, particularly for adapting into high-risk workflows. And that's where DeepIQ is coming in. And what we have done is in come up with some architectures and approaches where we minimize the hallucination problem using some data contextualization, you know, AI forensics, what we call it, where you can deep dive into how the generative AI has come up with certain recommendations and go back to the data sources that actually served as a feed for that particular prediction. But there are some high-risk use cases that will probably be slower to adapt. And there are some use cases that will never be impacted by AI in the current form. So, Vish, sorry, maybe I didn't understand it fully. I'm slow. On the false hallucinations, that's data that's in there that thinks it's something that's not, and we need to train it that it's definitely not, correct? Sorry, I'm just being... Is it as simple as that? I'd never heard this term until to, until this podcast, Brian, so that's the one I just wanted to understand. Sorry, Vish. So, hallucination is... Uh, so, generative AI models are these large models that generate new content, right? So, yes. when they generate content... They're trying to learn from the training data, but there could be issues with either the training data because it's not curated enough, or the training data is not of enough quality for it to learn the behaviors that it wants to, or maybe it's overtrained on a training data set, right? But there's some training issues. What will happen? So because of any of these, that's not clearly understood why it happens. It's a very open research topic. What will happen is it will generate content that sounds very accurate. So you could probably be misled into believing that it's correct, but it's actually not a true representation of the reality of the training that it is used to train on. And the example that I was giving is, you ask it some production-related questions, production in oil and gas, yep. and it spit out some drilling-related answers. And then you try to correct it, it wouldn't correct itself because it kind of hallucinates. It's went off into an infinite loop where it keeps saying sorry, right? I'm talking about chat GPT here, but it could never correct itself, right? So, Brian, it's a bit like me on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's like if you go back to your slice in your golf swing, right? If you ask chat GPT how to take the slice out of your golf swing and it says open up your club face, right? And it's certain that that's the right answer, but that's really not... The right yeah. answer, right? And I think that is, I think it's something talked about quite a bit in the press right now in terms of really, I guess, the technologists who are working on these capabilities, trying to figure out why those erroneous, you know, answers or paths are taken. But, you know, I mean, as you said, Vish, I mean, where we are now compared to we were six months ago is, is a step change. And I got to believe that Obviously, some of this is experimental, but it'll be refined and refined and refined, and these things will get better and better and more accurate. And it's obviously something you guys are working on right now in the mm. industrial context. And certainly, I don't see that to be a real barrier in terms of people trying to figure out how to start to put some application in their environment. Because, you know, you guys, I think, as you said, Vish, you this is going to be a step change in the business and you kind of still have to start to figure out, even with maybe some of the shortcomings right now, how to start to adapt this to your working model, right? To your ways of working, right? Brian, just taking this then, what's the energy workforce of tomorrow going to look like? So if these models, Fish, Jeff, start coming through, right. we need to get the right skills to look after it. Some of the roles we're saying would potentially be eliminated. The IBM CEO said the other day there's roughly 30% of roles that he can see within IBM. 
and the back office being sort of something that would definitely eliminate. Then there's been some craziness that we're going to kill the whole, the population's going to die and this is the end of life. I mean, what do you guys see in terms of the skills? Because it's important, right, for the universities sure, and our sure. children and our children's children to understand what's important to come through. Right. So Jason, you know, I have and- some, some opinions about that. And I can, I can start off, right? I mean, yeah, go on. Generate your AI. AI today is, I mean, the scale and speed at which it can generate insights is very powerful. And today, the amount of insights, the quality of insights is nearing human accuracy, right? But I still think the relationship is going to be fairly symbiotic. And the reasons are multiple, right? First of all, as we transition to an AI-first world, there's going to be a lot of retrofitting of the current industrial landscape before AI can answer some of these questions. For example, if I'm building a predictive health model that works on the data ingested, many of our current tool equipment need to be re-instrumented to have the right sensing equipment, right actuators, the data collection process need to improve, and all that requires a lot of engineering effort. And if you look at some of the existing refineries in our, in our state of Texas, they're 100-old refineries. And the current technology stack there is at least 30, 40 years old. Things change very slowly if you want to look at a holistic change. And the change, it's very capital-intensive. There's going to be a lot of jobs and careers in the process of change if you adapt yourself to align ourselves with change. Two things that I do believe in are, you know, as I said, we are at a point of disruption, but also... Yeah, it's so good at what it does that the scale at which we can generate insights or the efficiency at which we can process data, in my view, at least the size of the economy will increase because of the efficiency at which you are able to scale. So the average pie size for all of us will increase. Now, who gets the biggest part of the pie will change, but the average size is, as is going to be bigger. And hopefully, IBM and DeepIQ will get a bigger piece of the pie, but I think everybody has a bigger pie to get access to. And skill sets, what type of skill sets do you think we need to, Jeff, is that, you got any views on that one, Brian? Yeah, no, absolutely. In, in a previous life, I worked with a company that did uh, translation from languages to languages, and the translators were really nervous when machine translation came out because they were thinking, here goes all of our jobs. And the reality was is that machine learning did a great job of translating the basics, and then the translators just got to translate the cool stuff. And so they basically, their jobs got far less boring because the more the tedious tasks were done. And I think that's going to happen here too. You're going to look at drilling engineers and quality assurance people and that sort of thing. That tedious part of the job is going to go away from them and they're going to get to use their brain a little bit more. The reality though is that we're just not going to need as many of these people. So it's going to be layoffs and redundancies and that sort of thing, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's certainly, I think, there's always sort of this abstract fear of technology and when is technology, I guess, going to overtake the human workforce and obviously a lot of science fiction movies made about that i mean jason <laughs> uh, i don't know if you saw the chatbot gbt generated joe rogan podcast so i mean we're probably gone six months from now at least right <laughs> with uh, generative ai can replicate our podcast overnight but it's going to generate new jobs and it's going to generate new possibilities i mean vish i think you said it kind of very well it's going to make the pie bigger and it's going to maybe make people who are professionally trained better assisted in the field because they have, you know, access to data faster and access to information better. I feel like it's there's always going to be some turnover, some disruption, some removal of redundancies, but it's an unavoidable probably eventuality at this stage. And I think any of us that are in the business, you know, need to really understand 
more how to apply it into a practical fashion so that at least in the current context, we make our workers better assisted and faster at making better decisions for the company, right? Yeah. And as a side note, and probably something that's relevant to the sectors that we serve in Houston, some of these jobs are not going to be impacted directly by AI, right? Because many of these jobs are not solvable by AI. For example, right, I'll give you a very simple example. Maybe a question for you, Jason. Let's say you want two wells. You have a small operator that owns two wells. And the high-producing well has a flow meter that measures production. And the other one does not have any sensor. And you're using your cloud software built on ABM to monitor how well your wells are doing. And one day the pumper goes in and does some maintenance activity. And all of a sudden your production has, from the high production, you're noticing that it's fallen significantly. One of two things could have happened. Either the pumpers swapped the sensors or the well could have had uh, issue, the production. Which of the two things would have happened, Jason, in your view? Issue. Second one. <laughs> we are guessing, right? Ultimately, without pick the force. Yeah, totally guess. You'd have to, right? Without the data. You have to go and call the operator and pumper and figure out what happened. So ultimately, yeah, he's not going to be able to solve the problem because Absolutely. it's an interaction with the physical world. And a lot of these workflows that have very strong interactions with physical world will continue to stay for a long time to come. This, Jeff, another thing I think we should do as well, we're teaming with a company called IT Experience, a local Houston company just now, of taking students and training them through IBM schools around cyber data analytics and IT support. And the reason is we're going to candidates that really need the help within the Houston community and training these people up and then helping them and coaching them. I'm just thinking about this conversation, Brian. Mm -hmm. This is something that Vish and Jeff could definitely help with the coaching and data analytics. And as these guys come through, why aren't these guys the next Jeff, Vish, Jason, and Brian's, to be honest? Because that's what we do need in the industry is local experts around this. I'm just thinking of this type of program that we need to then grow the next skills that are going to help the industry sort of evolve and transform, I think. Yeah, absolutely happy to help, Jason. Just don't ask for grooming tips or anything like that. We'll not be so good at that. (laughs) Jason says we need to make the next Jason and Brian's. I know there's probably people out there in our audience that vehemently disagree with that, right? (laughs) But no, absolutely. I mean, Jason, I think that's a great idea. And I think the more we start enabling sort of the next generation of the workforce to be comfortable with this capability and to know how how it works, how to apply it, yeah. what it is, what it isn't, you know, they'll bring new ideas to the workplace, right? That's and where I was going, Brian. I was trying to round the circle. I mean, we generally know what generative AI is. It's coming to us at quick, as Vish said. Mm-hmm. We need the skills. We will refine some of the roles. We'll lose some of the jobs, as Jeff said, but we'll need better jobs and then we'll take better decisions. But they're not going to listen to us. We're going to have to train some of the, let's call it younger Brian's and Jason's to actually then show what the art of the possible is, Brian, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's actually a brand new title I've just researched called a chief AI officer, a CAO. Companies are really taking AI seriously and they're looking at customer interactions and ethical considerations around AI. So there's a lot of, lot of work to be done and a lot of opportunities. Yep, chief data officer to chief digital officer to chief AI officer now, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the world has evolved quite a bit in the last five or six, seven years. Well, I mean, I think it's been a fascinating discussion. And, and Vish and Jeff, I think the work that you guys are doing is really transformative in the industry. And it's really exciting. You know, I know you guys are a small, agile sort of uh, startup, but we're certainly going to include, I think, in our show notes, the link to uh, Deep IQ, as well as your LinkedIn profiles and 
Hopefully this generates a little bit of excitement to our listeners around the real world possibilities in the industry around this and just can't thank you guys enough for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Brian, Jason, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed the conversation. So I was saying I look forward to the day where AI does our job and posts a check in the mail for it. Yeah, that's right. Hey, when AI starts generating money for my kids, instead of them asking for me, then I'm victory. Exactly. Thanks a lot, guys. Really hey, Vish, just a time. quick one. I think what I'd like to do is set up a Houston. If we've got a deep IQ and IBM taking this, if people are really interested in this, why don't we do a show, don't tell? So we use this as a sort of marker when we get people around one late one afternoon, one evening, and just do a what's generative AI. No selling, just us plus a couple other people, some clients in, and we just literally show Vish exactly what you're talking about. I think people, I think, need to see what you are talking about as well. I personally do. I would love to do that. Yeah, yep, deal. It'll be fun, yeah. So that's a wrap. Brian, I don't know what generative AI is, and I probably it's not going to fix my golf slice, unfortunately, <laughs> is it? Not today, Jace. Not today. today. (laughs) (laughs) It was all right last weekend. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Brian, Jeff, Vish, thank you. As we said, everyone else, and all the time we do this, we'll adapt, adopt, improve these podcasts as we go along. If you've got any feedback for Brian and I, please let it go. Bring it to us. We'll change it. If you want to be the next Vish and Jeff or you want to meet them, the notes are in the show notes. And if you want to get on the show, drop us a note and we'll get you on there. Thank you very much for listening. Brian, Jeff, Vish, have a good day. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.